Well, how are we doing, Parkview? We good? Good, good. It's great to be here uh, with you this weekend. And uh, I just want to say uh, on both of our campuses, I hope you were able to be a part of the Easter gathering last weekend around here at Parkview. Was it unbelievable? Is it amazing? Uh, I know Homer Glenn had a huge, huge uh, crowd. There were over 17,500 people around Parkview last weekend, which is just uh, fantastic. And uh, I hope you've been able to watch uh, Pastor Tim's message. Uh, I've watched it uh, three times now, I think, online. And uh, it was just so good. If you missed it, you need to go watch it because he just has an incredible way of taking Jesus and the story and how he died for us and making it real to our lives. Uh, he had power tools up here on stage last weekend. He even made a reference to the new Superman and Batman a movie, if you're a fan of that. And then he ends by jumping out of an airplane. Uh, not Jesus, but Tim. Yeah, so it was, it was crazy. So if you haven't seen that, you've got to go watch uh, that uh, message. And I'm just glad that you're here. Maybe you're kind of just coming back to church after Easter weekend, going to check this thing out and journey, uh, continue your journey of faith. I just want to welcome you to this place. And I want to let you know that I'm pretty new around here as well. My name's Todd, and I'm a new part of the teaching team. And it's an honor uh, to be with you guys and, and grow with you at Parkview. Uh, well, thank you. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> Today we're diving in uh, to the third week in this series called Daring Faith. And today's... Uh, title is Dare to Imagine. And so here's what I want to ask you to do to kind of get us going all in the same direction. Again, on both campuses, I want you to think about the most daring step of faith that you've taken in your life. Something God asked you to do, and then you decided to do it. What would that be in your life? Think about that. And, and while you're thinking, let me just tell you about a couple of big steps of faith for me. One of them was 13 or 14 years ago. It goes back a little ways. I was in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was working at uh, a great church there, Southeast Christian Church. It was kind of like my dream job. We had incredible friends there. My wife, uh, her family all lived around us, her brother, her sister, her mom and dad. We had a great house, great salary. We had a great school for our kids. And it's in the midst of all of that that God started speaking to my heart. You ever been there? God kind of just starts to mess around with your world and he started to challenge me and kind of dare me to have the faith to plant a new church, to leave everything I'd known, everything I was comfortable with and plant a new church. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I argued with God for several months. And if you've ever done that, he usually wins. And uh, to make a long story medium length, we ended up going. Uh, we ended up leaving to, to plant a new church. And I packed up our family, and uh, we went 3,170 miles as we moved from Louisville, Kentucky, to Los Angeles, California, to plant a church. Now, how many of you know there's a big difference between Louisville and Los Angeles, okay? <laughs> there is. It's huge. And during that season of life, I had just dozens and dozens of people asking why are you doing this? Why would you leave a dream job at a, at a great church? And my answer to them was always the same. It was, you know what? I just feel to the very core of my being that God is calling me and my family to, to push away from the dock, to get out into some deep waters, to really test 
our faith to imagine what God could do in our lives. And I was kind of at a crossroads in my life. Am I just going to be comfortable? Am I going to play things safe? Or am I going to exhibit faith and a really daring faith and trust after God, even though, catch this, even though I didn't know everything that was coming, right? That's what happens. That's why it's called daring faith. You don't always know what's ahead of you. If you always knew what was ahead, it wouldn't be daring faith. It would just be the obvious next step, right? If you knew everything that was coming. So we did that. For 10 years, I led that church. And then about four years ago now, I felt God daring me to take a step of faith again. Everything was going great. We had friends, the church was growing, expanding, staff was growing, and he called us again, and I began to argue with him. And again, to make a long story shorter, we ended up moving four years ago and joined up with Christ Church of the Valley in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And, and for the last four or five years, just a testimony to what God can do, I've watched us take daring steps of faith, and I've watched God just blow our minds time after time, largely in the fact of launching out different campuses to different areas. In the last four or five years at Christ Church of the Valley, we've gone from one campus to six campuses in just four or five years, and we're reaching eight to 10,000 more people every weekend than we were five years ago. Is that incredible? It's amazing. And Parkview, here's why I bring all of that up. Here's why I bring up those crossroad moments in my life. It's because I feel like as a church here at Crossroads, we're, or here at Parkview, we're kind of also at a crossroads. Did you guys know that we turned 65 years old this month as a church? We turned 65 years old. And whenever a church, an organization, or a person turns 65, you have a choice to make, Right? When you turn 65, what are you going to do? Are you going to just sit around and kind of, you know, just wind down and throw in the towel? Are you going to start wearing black dress socks with sandals and <laughs> eating dinner at 3 in the afternoon and just kind of waiting for life to end and retire? Or at 65, are you going to dream a new dream? Are you going to begin to take some chances and take some risks and experience a daring faith? Parkview, I want you to know in advance that we have already decided around here that we're not retiring at 65. We're not going to retire at 65. We've already decided as a church that we're going to push away from the dock, amen? And we're going to get out into some deep waters of faith and we're just going to dream and we're going to imagine what God could do with us in this place. And it's going to be... For many of us, the ride of our lives. It really is. And I'm so excited about this and this faith we're getting ready to embark upon as a church because it goes right along with a message that I want to share with you today about a guy named Abraham. Everybody on both campuses say Abraham. Abraham. Abraham climbed this mountain of faith in his life. And today we're going to study a time when he did that with his son Isaac, and we're going to see how the mountain of faith that we climb looks a whole lot like the mountain of faith that he climbed. So if you have a Bible with you today, I want to ask you to find Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, if you don't have a Bible, if you have a smartphone or a tablet or however you locate Scripture, Genesis chapter 22, I want to read about 14 verses, the story of Abraham and Isaac, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to see what God wants us to, to grow and learn through this section of Scripture about daring faith in our lives. 
Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. And then here's why I love Abraham, the daring faith. What's he do? The very next verse, verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And then he carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. How quickly do you think he answered that? Yeah! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for the opportunity we have to gather up and to study your word. God, I pray that in this ancient story that is so familiar to so many of us, you would teach us something new and fresh that we could apply to our lives and that we would not be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're taking notes today, I want to ask you to first uh, get those ready. And I want us today to talk about two sides to this story or two slopes to this mountain. The first one is slope number one, and this is Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. Just write that down in your notes. Slope number one, Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. Can you even dare to imagine Put yourself in this story for the next 20 minutes or so we have together. Put yourself in this. Can you dare to imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind as he traveled with his son, as he made that journey of faith to that place where God was asking him to sacrifice his son? Realize this is the son that God had already told Abraham would be the beginning of all of his descendants. This is also the son realized that Abraham and his wife Sarah had been praying for, for all their lives. Maybe you've prayed for a son or a daughter before. Abraham and Sarah have been praying for this son for a long time. In fact, if you look in your Bible at Genesis chapter 17, just a few chapters before where we read in Genesis chapter 22, it tells us that when Isaac is born, Abraham is a hundred years old. He's a century old. 
when Isaac comes. He's been praying for a long time. And you know how old Sarah is when she has him? 90. Ladies, I don't know if you've ever thought about having a kid late in life. That is like late in life. She is 90 years old, which means probably from 14, 15, 16. She's been praying for this kid for 70 to 80 years. Isaac is a very special son. And I know something about that because I have a very special daughter. Her name is Ruby. This is a picture of her. Ruby turned 18 years old just two weeks ago. And that's a pretty cool thing. That's a pretty special thing. But what's even more special than that about Ruby is that she is the first girl born in the Clark side of the family since 1832. Is that unbelievable? So it's like all my brothers have brothers, have brothers, have uncles. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. But think about the grief that I caught when I couldn't produce a boy right? I mean, it was not good for a while around my house. But Ruby is a very special daughter. Just like Isaac we're talking about was a very special, incredible son. This is also the same son that Abraham was called to sacrifice. This is the very same son, catch this, that walked alongside Abraham for three days. On the third day, the Bible tells us that Abraham looks up and he sees the mountain that God is calling them to climb up and make this sacrifice. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5 says this. He says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship. Everybody say worship. We, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, I want you to pause here. I want you to write the word worship in your notes or underline that if you have a Bible or a smartphone where you can underline things. Underline or highlight that word worship. I want us to spend just a moment on that word because it's very important to the story and understanding in our lives today. The way we think about worship today is not the same way that Abraham and those people would have thought about worship. Understand this, that in Abraham's day, it was very different. If you were going to worship, that meant a sacrifice would have to be made. Anybody who was going to worship in Abraham's day, the only way you could worship God was by making a sacrifice. In other words, catch this, something had to die. Something had to die in order for worship to happen. And how many of you know today, we're so far removed from that, aren't we? I mean, the fact is, what we have to realize in our lives, all of us gathered up this weekend on all campuses, is that somebody actually has died for us. Amen? Jesus died for us so that we could worship the way we are. Jesus gave his life on a cross so that we can come and worship and have a direct line to God. So something has died. Someone has died on our behalf. But a lot of times we forget that when it comes to worship. And a lot of times to worship for us today is just, you know, we come into a, a space and, and we sit down in seats and some lights come on and, and we put some guitars up and a singer and some uh, drums and we put some words up on a screen and we sing some songs and we call that worship. And I just want to say that's great. That's okay to worship in that way because Jesus has died so we can do that and make our way to God. But I want you to realize that in Abraham's day, worship 
always involved a sacrifice. Something had to die at that moment for worship to happen. And everybody in Abraham's party understood that. And they also understood that they only had two of the three elements that they needed. They had the wood and they had the fire. But something was missing. In fact, Isaac, who's walking along with his dad, if you still have a Bible there, he actually brings this up in verse 7. He's walking along with his dad, and Isaac actually says, did you catch this when we were reading it? He says, hey, Dad, uh, Father Abraham, right? Because that's what he calls him, Father Abraham. He says, "Uh, I I see that we have the fire because you're carrying that, and I see that we have the wood because I'm carrying that, but where's, uh, where's the sacrifice for the burnt offering? And look at what Abraham says in chapter 22, verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And the Bible says that they continued on. And when they got to that place that God was calling Abraham to, the Bible says that he built an altar which is probably just a bunch of stones all piled up, right? They've climbed to the top of this mountain. He's just climbing in faith towards God, and they build this altar. And then it says he takes the wood that his son has been carrying. So he takes the wood from Isaac, and he arranges the wood up on top of the altar. And then you got to get this. Then the Bible says that he takes his son, and he gets some ropes, and he bound up his son and he lays him up on top of the altar how many of you know the stories in the bible are true amen this isn't just something that we have because we need something to do on the weekend right these are true can you imagine that he lays him on top of that altar and then it says abraham gets out a knife and he raises the knife up and he's ready to make the sacrifice Can you even dare to imagine what's going through his mind? Is he standing there like, hello, God, you see what's getting ready to happen here? This is not good. And what about Isaac, who's laying up on top of the altar going, uh, dad, this doesn't look good to me. Are you sure about this? Is this really what we're going to do? And by the way, did you know that many Bible scholars believe that Isaac was as much as 30 years old at this point in his life? So if the picture that you're painting in your mind of this whole process is a dad tying up his little seven or eight or nine-year-old little boy, you probably need to change that picture to a dad tying up his 25 or 30-year-old son. And that changes the picture, doesn't it? I mean, Isaac could, have, Isaac could have fought, right? He could have resisted his dad. I mean, his dad is a hundred. He could have fought against his dad at that point and surely overpowered his dad. But you know what? He didn't. He allowed himself to be bound up. He allowed himself to be laid down. And so here you have this 30-year-old-ish Isaac bound up laying on this altar, laying on the wood that he carried. You have his dad, 
Abraham pulling out a knife, raising it into the air, ready to make the sacrifice. And here's where I want to get us to today, on the top of this mountain of this faith that they were climbing. He's got his hand raised up into the air, and catch this, Parkview, from their perspective, from their side of the mountain, hope is just about gone, isn't it? It's just about gone. And let me just pause there and ask you something. Only you can answer this for yourself. Do you ever feel this way? Did you ever feel that way in your life? Have you ever had a season in your life where you're just trying to follow after God? Maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're single, maybe you've been married for a long time. You're just trying to follow after God. You're just trying to have daring faith. And you come to these moments where it kind of looks like, you know, I don't, it just looks like hope is gone. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you've been fighting for your marriage for a lot of months or even years and, and you've been having faith even for your spouse and, and, and it comes to the point where you think things are going pretty good in your marriage but then all of a sudden, one evening, after the kiddos go to bed, your spouse wants to sit down in the kitchen and talk and they start to tell you about how they think things aren't going good. And you've been trying so hard. You've just been trying to be faithful to God in this marriage and to your spouse. And from your perspective, from your side of the mountain, hope is just about gone. Or maybe it's with a, one of your kids or a friend or a neighbor or somebody in your family or yourself who's just not feeling good. You're, you're, you're feeling sick. You're, you've got something going on inside your body or you know somebody who does and it's not good and, and you've been praying. You've had a bunch of people praying. Maybe you've had all your neighbors praying. Maybe your whole small group. I mean, you've been praying like crazy for God to intervene. God, we know you can intervene. We know you're going to do this. We know you're going to provide. And, and guess what? He, he, he hasn't yet. You ever been there? Even the doctors are saying, look, I... I don't know what else we can do unless God intervenes here. I don't know. And maybe it's, you've been like that or maybe it's been in your financial life where you look at your bank account and you look at your mortgage and your car payment and your groceries and you're thinking, I don't know how all of this is going to, to, to happen. And maybe you're sitting here today, this weekend, and you look at your life and you feel a lot like Abraham because you're looking at your current circumstances and you're thinking, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know exactly what to do. Here's what I want to say to you. If you feel like now or you've ever felt like you're in that space, I just want to say to you, Parkview, do not lose faith. Do not lose faith. Dare to imagine in those moments in our lives, dare to imagine what God could be up to on your behalf. You know why? Because there's another side of the mountain that you and I cannot see. Somebody say amen. amen. There's another side of the mountain that you and I cannot see. If you're taking notes, it's the second side. It's slope number two. It's God's side of the mountain in our lives. How many of you know that as Abraham, as God was calling Abraham to come up one side of the mountain with Isaac and those other elements of sacrifice, how many of you know that God was also calling a ram to start to come up the other side of the mountain? And as Abraham and Isaac took a few steps, the ram took a few steps. And as Abraham and Isaac took a few steps, the ram took a few steps. And listen, Parkview, I don't want you to ever let this image leave your mind. Abraham and Isaac climbing, the ram climbing. Abraham and Isaac climbing, the ram climbing. And when they get to the top, 
there's just about to be an explosion of faith as Abraham's obedience collides with the provision of God. Here's what daring faith is. If you want to take notes, daring faith is this. It's where our obedience intersects with God's provision. That's huge. Daring faith in our lives every single day is where our obedience intersects with God's provision. And I also want you to see this. I want you to know this in this scripture that we're studying. I want to stress this, that Abraham, how many of you know, could not see both sides of the mountain, right? He couldn't see both sides of the mountain. Abraham couldn't sit there and say, you know, he builds the, you know, the altar like we talked about and he puts the wood up there that his son was carrying and then he puts his son up there and he has his knife up. Abraham couldn't say, Isaac, 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 listen, it's all going to be okay. It's all good, Isaac, because guess what? In verse 13, Isaac, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Guess what? He had no idea, verse 13. Because how many of you know Abraham's living in verse 8? Or verse 6 or verse 5? He couldn't see both sides of the mountain. And how many of you know in our lives what I'm trying to get through to you this weekend is that we can't see both sides of the mountain. We don't know what's coming in verse 13. So many of you and myself are living still in verse 5 or verse 6 or verse 8 or verse 11, and we, are, we don't even know what's coming in verse 13. We can't see both sides of the mountain, but here's what I want you to write down. Only God can see both sides of the mountain. Only God, from his perspective, can see both sides of the mountain in your life. And you should write that down. You should put that in your car when you're driving to, to work. You should put that on your desk at work. If you're a student, junior high, high school, you should put that in your locker, in your backpack or something like that. You should write that in your home on some wall that only God can see both sides of the mountain. And let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this question. What if Abraham had stopped? What if Abraham had stopped climbing? What if, what if midway through that climb of faith towards God, Abraham had let his faith waver? Friends, I'm convinced that if Abraham and Isaac had stopped climbing up one side of the mountain, then the ram would have also stopped climbing up the other side of the mountain. There would have been no reason for a lamb to be caught in the thicket if they had stopped climbing on one side. You see, there would have been no supernatural intersection of Abraham's obedience and God's blessings. There would have been no daring faith. We would not be studying this story today if the story was just Abraham and Isaac started to climb. And then they stopped. And nothing else happened. That, that, that's nothing we would study. That's nothing we'd be talking about here thousands of years later. And it causes me to wonder as I think about teaching this weekend and where we are as a church and daring faith. I can't help but wonder how many times do we pause in our climb towards God? Or just think about this in your life. How many times have you literally just stopped? 
You know God's calling you to do something. You know God wants you to go somewhere, do something, say something, give something. How many times have you just stopped maybe a month or a week or a day or an hour or even one minute? Who knows to us, right? Have you ever stopped even maybe one minute short of intersecting with God's infinite provision and resources in your life? I think when we do that, and I know I'm sure I've done that in my life, but I think when we do that, I think all heaven looks down on us and says, oh, no, 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 no. Don't stop now. Don't stop now. If if you could see what we see from our perspective up here, you would see that you're just moments away from God doing something supernatural in your life, in your family, with your kids, with your marriage, with your finances, with your church, you're almost to verse 13. (laughs) You're at like verse 12, word 9. You're almost there. Don't stop now. And I would say this to you, Parkview, again, if you want to write something down, daring faith means following obediently even before the provision is seen. That's what it means in your life and mine, whether you've been around church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or whether you've just been around church for about 45 minutes. It doesn't matter. Daring faith is, is following obediently after God even when the provision is nowhere yet to be seen. And let me just say one other thing here, and I'm going to kind of pull this whole study together today. I just feel like, you know, as I'm getting ready to speak to you this weekend, I, I, wanna, I just feel like God wanting me to push us just a little bit. And, and so here's what I want to say and, and understand my heart in this because I include myself in this. But I think a lot of times, I think God grows weary of churches and individuals who want to blame God for his lack of provision while we ourselves are bankrupt in our own obedience. Does that make sense? Can I say it again? Sometimes I think that God gets frustrated with us as human beings, as as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we want to blame him for his lack of provision in our lives while we ourselves are bankrupt in our own obedience. What we want to do, I include myself in this, what we want to do a lot of times with God is say, God, I'm ready, I'm daring, I want to climb towards you, I'm getting ready to climb, but here's what I'd love, God, if you would just let me see the ram first. (laughs) Right? I'm coming, I'm gonna follow you, I'm crazy, I'm daring. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll climb, I'll climb 100 feet, but then I need, I, I have a family, God. I have a good job, God. I don't know how this will work if I give this or that, God. I need to see the ram first, and God, if you'll just show me that ram, I will have such daring faith, and here's what God says to us. That is not the way this works. That is not the way this works. You start climbing towards me. And then and only then will you collide with my provision in your life. Parkview, I believe with all of my heart that God still meets obedient people on top of mountains. He still meets obedient people on top of mountains. And God is calling us 
to climb. We're turning 65 years old, but we're not going to retire. How could we with tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people around us in our campuses that don't know Jesus? They don't have faith in Jesus yet. And so you know what we're going to do? We're going to have daring faith for them. And we're going to begin to climb towards God. We're going to begin to climb towards Jesus in our lives for the sake of all of those who don't yet know him. And it's going to be amazing. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to watch this video that Pastor Tim has put together for us that goes right along with this message, and it begins to talk about the climb of faith that we're going to take in our lives. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be the time of our lives. Take a moment and watch this. I tell the story often about losing Becca on the beach, our youngest. I'm going to tell you, if you're a parent and you've lost a child, even for a moment, it is the worst feeling in the world. There was nothing more important to me than finding her. And when I found her and her mom didn't know she was safe, there was nothing more important than putting her on my shoulders and bringing her back home. You know this. If you're a parent, you know, you could have 12 kids. But if one of them's gone, you've only got 11, you're going to go find that one more. You are never going to be okay until they come home. And that's the image that, that I have of this church and that I've always had, is that I, I'm going to keep making sure that everything that I do has to do with finding that lost child on the beach and bringing them back home to the parent who loves them until the day that I die. Eight thousand people a weekend, 59th largest church in America. I mean, for crying out loud, we've done our job, right? Isn't it time to coast? It can't be time to coast because I know there's more than one lost child out there on the beach. I show this graph often because this has kind of become part of the mantra for my life. This is a graph of the history of world population. And this yellow mark that you see right here, that's the mark in which I live. It's also the mark in which you live. There's more people around me that are lost on the beach than ever before. Yeah, we run 8,000 a weekend. There are 4 million people within a 30-minute drive time of our two campuses. And we're going to have a third, so I guess that means we're really just widening the circle. We talk a lot about reach, raise, and release around here. That's that's what we do as a church. That's our mission statement. We're going to reach people. We're going to raise them up as fully devoted followers, and we're going to release them to go do ministry. I remember they were talking about opening up a new campus, but I always found that Orland was my home, so I was a little didn't want to really trend out because this is where I found my relationship. So I kind of want to stay here. But then I said, they opened up a new uh, campus in Homer and they said, oh, if you live in the Lamont area or if you're over there, like they could use some help. So I figured that was God's calling to me to start helping out and I wanted to get involved more. And I felt that that was an opportunity to plant the seeds to really start growing my faith, not just in words, but in actions. I'm really excited about the new Lenox campus and um, I just think it's a great opportunity for us to be Parkview reaching out to other people. 
when I was kind of lost and looking for something, one of my friends at um, the salon reached out to me and told me about Parkview. And at first I was a little timid and everything, but once I finally went, it was like an awesome experience. And I even asked my small group how they got there. And it was all that somebody was reaching out and taking that step to invite them. The number one question I get when I when I got back was, so you went to Africa, uh, what'd you build? Did you build something? Um, my answer is always the same. Yeah, we built relationships. guy about my age came up to me in the foyer and, and had tears in his eyes and he just said today I got it he didn't have to explain he just said today I got it and I knew what he meant was today I got that God really does love me that he really has been waiting for me to come home that he really did send his son to die to pay the price so that I could be home and today I got it that's why we do what we do. Is it daring? Is it scary? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it always will be. And it's always worth it. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna dare to reach, we're gonna dare to raise, and we're gonna dare to release. We've been doing it for a long time, and we don't think we're done. We need everyone to participate. Some of you, this is gonna be the biggest growth time of your life when you and God sit down and say, okay, well, what should we be doing here? What should we be doing to help find your lost kids on the beach? We will be releasing all of you to the people around you who are going to be able to show up and park their car and sit their butt down in a seat at some campus somewhere that Parkview is providing for them. So we need you to have daring faith with us. We just gotta find one more. Paul says in Ephesians 3.12, because of our faith in him, we dare to have boldness, courage, and confidence in coming to God with freedom, and without fear. And as I look back to three women on a train in 1951, I would love to sit down with them and say, you know that vision that you had 65 years ago, saving people that needed to find their way back to God? They were mine. What story remains to be told? We're going, to receive, uh, we're going to receive the offering in just a minute. Before I do, I want to uh, share with you how to get the most out 
of this daring faith adventure that we're on. And we're really excited about what God's doing here. As Pastor Todd said and Tim mentioned in the video, 65th anniversary is actually April 15th. If you want to put that down and send me an anniversary card or however you'd like to celebrate that. That, that is amazing. That's only six years. You think about this. Only six years after World War II ended, this church has been going on. These three ladies uh, had this idea of starting a church here in the south suburbs. So we want you to jump in on the Daring Faith journey. This is about you growing and us reaching people here in the south suburbs as well as around the world. So the way you can get the most out of the Daring Faith journey is, first of all, make sure you're here every week. Next week, Tim's going to be back in. He's going to be unpacking in detail what this whole Daring Faith journey is all about and what we feel God's calling us to do uh, in the the next 65 years. The second thing is, on your way out tonight, you're going to get a Daring Faith book. And this is our vision and small group book. Inside here, the front part of it is the overall vision of Daring Faith and what we're trying to accomplish here and what we feel like God's called us to. The back side is all of the small group curriculum, which that's the third thing I want to encourage you to do, is get in a small group. And that will make this a fantastic experience for you. And the way you can do that, there's a few ways. First of all, you can start your own group here at Parkview. The way we do this is you take this book, it's got the curriculum in there, it goes along with each week of the message that Todd started and Pastor Tim's going to be doing. And then we've created a DVD with Pastor Tim and Pastor Casey teaching each week through each week of the series. You can pick that up after the service, I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a minute. And gather some friends together you already know, pull them together at your house or Starbucks or at work or wherever, and discuss what God's doing in your life as he's encouraging you to take a daring step of faith. The other thing you can do is you can do this with your family. Same thing. You grab the DVD, use these discussion questions. There's daily Bible readings in here. And each week, gather your family together for 10 or 15 minutes, watch the DVD, discuss the teaching on there, discuss the message, use this as a guide. You can do this in your family as well. We really want to encourage you to do that. And finally, if you're in an existing group, we want to make sure, I know many of you already know this, but if you're in an existing group right now, make sure your small group leader knows to pick up their stuff today, grab your books, because you're going to be doing this in your small group. So really quickly, before we, uh, before we sing again, pull out your bulletin for me. Go ahead and grab this. Inside of your bulletin, there's a Daring Faith card in here. And if you want to kick off a group or you're already in a group, you're going to fill out this card right now. You're going to fill this out. And then when you leave here, you're going to grab a book on the way out. Each person in here gets a book. And then you're going to head to one of the Daring Faith booths in either of the hallways. So you're going to turn the card in. And they're going to give you that free DVD that you can do your small group stuff with, either the new group you're starting or your family or friends or, or, or however you want to do it. So make sure you fill that card out. We want to encourage you to be here every week. This is going to be an exciting journey. Let me pray, and we'll pass the offering. Father, thanks for, uh, thanks for these three ladies on the train. Um, never got to meet them but they took a step of daring faith. And because they did, um, there are people that know your son and their lives have been transformed. And from three ladies on a train to 8,000 people every week to 24,000 at Christmas and 17,000 at Easter, the numbers are significant not because it's about bigness, it's because every number represents a person and every person has a story. And it's a story you want to be involved in. And you're transforming lives and the lives of their children and grandchildren and, and throughout. So we're grateful for that. We're grateful for those ladies. And help us all over the next few weeks just to take a daring step of faith towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.